Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined today by Joe Anity. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. I, as well, am good. Looking forward <laughs> to this uh, Looking forward to this episode. And it's been an exciting series. And just to fill you in, if you're just now tuning in, um, this is part six of a series on Calvinism. And so if you are just tuning into this, let's, uh, I really encourage you to jump back to the very first part and just kind of listen your way through to here because we're going to be building on a lot of things we've already talked about. Yep. Yeah. Especially those first things first. It's uh, those, those three episodes, I think three we did on that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, those are going to be really important. So anyways, today we are talking about irresistible grace. Yeah. It's the eye and tulip. Yeah. So we've gone out of order for the first two, but we kind of jump back in order in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. finish out in yeah. order. So let's uh, ask the question that uh, kind of starts us off for this. What does the doctrine of irresistible grace teach? I think I did the same thing with at least one other um, of the uh, letters in the acronym TULIP. Uh, it made the point that uh, really a more helpful term would be effectual calling here. Um, irresistible grace fits nicely into the uh, acronym, but again, I think it can be kind of misleading. Uh, we'll get to this later, but some have kind of uh, raise some objections uh, to that. It kind of gives the impression that God drags us to Himself, kicking and screaming. You know, right, <laughs> so we don't right. want to go, but God forces us. Um, I think a more helpful term is effectual calling. That is really what we're saying. Um, really, the doctrine is this. And again, it's important that you've listened to the other episodes, I guess, in order for this to make sense. But the idea is that those whom God has predestined, uh, and that happened in eternity past before creation, uh, those same ones that he has predestined, he he also effectively calls or draws or brings to himself through Christ Jesus. Um, the London Baptist Confession puts it this way. It's an old English, and, and so it's it, it might sound a little funny to you, but in chapter 10, verse 1, uh, it begins by saying, Those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. That's just a very helpful little summary of, of what we're talking about here. And notice the confession also uses the phrase uh, effectual calling mm. um, and not irresistible grace here. But Yeah, I like that better too. I think that's a more clear way to, to say it. Yeah. Well, well, what are some objections that you hear leveled against this doctrine? Most commonly, I guess. It's interesting. I'm sitting down to record this podcast right now, and a week ago I heard this objection, and earlier today I, I had a conversation. It wasn't really an objection, but it was just a conversation over this point. Um, I think when some hear that God um, effectually calls, they begin to think to themselves, well, it really does seem as if people resist the grace of God all the time. You're saying that no one resists God's grace, and yet it seems as if people are constantly resisting God's grace. Um, it seems that way as I look at the world today, and it also seems that way as I read the scriptures, right? That you you see instance after instance of someone who hears the gospel and remains um, unconverted and in their sins, right? Um, I really think the solution to that is simply to recognize that 
there are two types of calling that we need to talk about. There is a general call and there is a effectual call. We are here talking about the effectual call, but the general call uh, is also important for us to talk about. Um, and that, that general call comes, I guess, in two main ways. There is a sense in which creation is constantly calling out to us to worship the one true God. Right. You know, we might call that natural revelation, to use another theological term. Um, I think of Romans 1, I think of Psalm 19. Uh, they speak of the fact that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and they're, they're just calling out constantly concerning uh, the, the worship of the one true God. That is a form of a general call. It, it's something that all people hear, you know, but it doesn't convert. It can't save, you know. Um, I think typically when people hear about the, the general call, they think of the gospel preached, but in word only. Uh, and without the power of the Holy Spirit, the converting and, and uh, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit accompanying it. So uh, the general call is, is an external call. It, it's maybe word only. It's ineffective due to the fact that man is blind, deaf, and at enmity with God. Um, the, the, the passage that comes to mind that illustrates this principle is in Matthew chapter 22. And there Jesus is telling a story about um, you know, a rich man uh, sending his servants out to invite people to his banquet. And he goes, and all the ones who were invited at first make excuses. They won't come, you know. I think in, the, in that context, it's representing maybe the Jewish people, you know. Uh, and the master says, fine, then you now go out into the highways and the byways and, and invite basically the, you know, the, the poor people and, and the people um, who, who aren't in a privileged place. And they come, and at the end of that whole passage, Jesus comments on it by saying, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the scriptures there in Matthew twenty two fourteen are using the word called in reference to the general call. Many are called, but a lot of those who are called in this general way don't respond, you know, to the invitation as, as you would expect that they would. But it's only those who are chosen who respond. And so using the categories that we're talking about right now, we're, we're to think that the, the, the first group, many, many are called. That's an, a general or external call. But the, the ones chosen are the ones who are called effectually or inwardly by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I guess I could just use this example here. If I were to stand up on the roof right now of our office and I were to start shouting the gospel out, you know, I think there's a, a factory across the way. Maybe maybe they're out at lunch right now. There might be 50 people who hear my words. They, they hear the words of the gospel. They hear the exhortation. Come to Christ, repent, turn from your sins, trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. That's a general call. It, it, they're hearing the words of the gospel. They're being summoned by the words. But it, it may be that only one of them responds in faith. And it is that one who has been called effectually or inwardly. And what's the difference? It's that the Holy Spirit is at work in that that one individual's uh, life. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit has made that one alive and has enabled that one to, um, to, to, to respond to the gospel in this positive way. Uh, you know, this is, I think, what Jesus was talking about in John six forty four when he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That The, 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 the Father 
uh, through the Holy Spirit, must draw an individual to himself and inwardly and effectively call that individual. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that the verse, uh, the Matthew 22, 14. I've heard that often used as an objection. Um, and so it was just really interesting to hear it in this context when we think yeah. about effectual and, and uh, general calling here. Yeah, there's two so types of calls. really helpful. An external one, an internal one, and a general one, an effectual one. And, and uh, yeah. we just need to figure out which one's being looked at, you know, in right. a particular passage. Uh, yeah. Right. What are some other, uh, some other, uh, objections or. Yeah. Um, I think some also, and I've already alluded to this when they hear of irresistible grace or, um, effectual calling they, they, they think that, well, God is now violating my free will. Yeah. I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. You know, probably most common one I've heard. God actually. gives me choice. Uh, I've heard this phrase that God is a gentleman. He would never force himself on anyone. Right. God is not a gentleman. He's God, by the way. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but the idea here is that God would never drag someone kicking and screaming to him. And I, I agree with that. You know, I, right. Whenever someone says um, God is a gentleman, he would never force himself on anyone. To me, that, that just... That, that that shows me that the individual has no clue as to what Calvinism really teaches, right? Because right. no Calvinist is ever saying that God forces himself on someone in, in the way that's um, suggested by that right. phrase. Right. Um, really what we're teaching here is that God moves upon the hearts and wills of men in such a way where they, in fact, freely respond to the gospel, you know, right. by faith. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. And I, you know, I, I, I'm tempted to take the time to read it, but I just, our confession of faith, London Baptist, I don't, do people get tired of me quoting the confession? It, it's, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it's not our authority for truth, okay? But it's such a wonderful summary of these doctrines. Why, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's just so helpful. It's like it's stated clearly and plainly here. And we didn't write that either. That's no. the thing. It's lasted for a very long time, so... Right, it's, uh, right. It's not our authority, but yeah. it's good for us to, you know, uh, pay attention to what those who have gone before us have said. If they've right. already done hard work to figure this out, why not build upon it? But chapter 9 of the Confession is on free will, so you almost have to start there and read it carefully and see that what the Confession says is, yeah, that the, the Bible is clear that man, when he was created, was created with um, the, 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 the power of acting upon choice. He makes real choices in, in the garden um, Adam and Eve were neither uh, destined to good or evil. It, it, they were, uh, they had nothing within themselves that was forcing them in one direction or another is kind of the idea here. They, they had freedom of will and perfectly so. Uh, but that is not the state in which we live. We live in a fallen state. Um, we are not in that state of innocency in, anymore. We are in a fallen state so that, yes, we still have this free will. We still have the ability to make real choices, but the problem is that that we are fallen, and so we make choices that are against God and not towards him. In fact, the confession is very clear to say that we, in our fallen state, are altogether averse from um, altogether averse from from good, we're dead in sin, we are not able in our own strength to convert ourselves or to prepare to prepare ourselves thereunto. But just listen to this, this is what I'm trying to get to. I've kind of stammered through it, but paragraph four says this, when God converts a sinner, 
and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Mm-hmm. To me, that's so helpful. It, it explains what we're talking about here um, when we're talking about um, this irresistible grace or this effectual calling. It's not that God forces us to do something we don't want to do, but it's that he works in our hearts in such a way that he frees us to want to do that which we ought to want to do. Right, right. And we begin to make real choices. We exercise real faith, having been made alive from the heart, having been freed from that bondage to sin. And um, Okay, is that clear? Yeah, and I think, I think when we think of this language, when we look at what the scriptures say and the language that we're using according to this, it is this coming from bondage to freedom. And mm-hmm. and when you when you say that, like with the the objection you said earlier, God is a gentleman, he would never force himself on anyone. It's almost like flipping that as if we're in a freedom state and we want to be free and that's that's and then God's putting this oppression on us by to, by drawing right. us to himself. But it's the exact opposite. We are free, mm-hmm. but uh, and it goes back to the whole, what is, you know, is free, absolute free will or, you know, limited right, free will. Right. And we go back to that. We talked about that multiple times, but, but again, it's, it's taking this incredibly positive, joyous hope we have and, and in, in this redemption that we're given through Christ and twisting it around to be like, yeah. we're already free and now he's forcing. So any, anyways, it's just interesting when we look at it from that perspective. It is. And it, it goes back to this. We need to look at what the scriptures teach. Right, Look, you know, so, and we, you yeah. need to use the language of scripture here. Yeah. So God is a gentleman; He would not force Himself on anyone. I, I, I don't know. I could respond to that in so many ways. Uh, one of them would be, uh, if I'm dead in my sin and, and destined to eternal destruction, I kind of hope He forces Himself on me. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah. one way to respond to it. Please do, Lord. Um, but I think maybe a more helpful way is to say He is a gentleman. He doesn't force us to do something he, that that we don't want to do, but rather He's a gentleman and He's so good. He's so good at drawing sinners to himself that he always gets the job done. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're dragged to himself, but it's that they come freely and willingly because he has he has won the heart. I mean, we might say it that way. Yeah, yeah. Really, more deeply than that, he has transformed the heart. The London Baptist Confession, chapter 10, builds upon that. Um, and just listen to it. I've already read the first part. Those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time. So this happens in time. Predestination happens prior to creation. This calling that we're talking about happens in time. He effectually to call by his word and spirit. So it happens by word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are are by nature um, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. And listen what he does here. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone he gives to them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills, and by his almighty power, um, he determines them to that which is good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ so that they come most freely being made willing by his grace. Mm. And so those who want to persist in saying, well, I don't believe in irresistible grace or effectual calling because God's a gentleman. He would never um, you, you know, force himself upon anyone. You need to stop saying that because it misrepresents what we believe. You know, mm-hmm. either you got that idea from yourself or you got that idea from some so-called Calvinist who misrepresented the Calvinist position, but wouldn't it be better to go back to the great reformed creeds and confessions, right? And to read for yourself 
what Reformed theology has always taught concerning these things. Go to the Canons of Dort, for example. Go to the Westminster Confession of Faith or to the London Baptist Confession of Faith here and see that it's the same emphasis throughout uh, that this is that this happens by God transforming the heart mm-hmm. in such a way that we come to Christ most freely, being made willing by his grace. Um, yeah, we, we are quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Paragraph 2 of chapter 10 says, um, we are enabled to answer this call so that we embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Uh, and that is that is um, through the power of Christ raised from the dead. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we're, we're pretty clear about what we believe here. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. There and we if go. You're, if you're curious about these two, the, all these uh, quotes from the confession are in the notes, and there's also verse refer- scripture references for all those things, too. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and check, yeah. check those out and just see where all that's coming from. So, well, how is the effectual calling connected to regeneration? Yeah. You know, regeneration, being born again, right? That, that whole concept that we see in the scriptures. Um, I think what effectual calling is emphasizing is the summons, you know, uh, the, 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 the call to, to come and to repent and to trust in Christ. Whereas what regeneration is emphasizing a bit more is the inward work of the Holy Spirit by which we are made alive to God and, and by which we are made able to believe, to respond to that to that call. So the two really go hand in glove, don't they? In fact, I think it could be said that the effectual part of effectual calling is probably has regeneration um, undergirding it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Calling, if it is just calling, is not effectual. And why is it not effectual? It's because the power of the Holy Spirit is lacking. Right. But when the power of the Holy Spirit is there and is regenerating the heart and mind, um, then all of a sudden that calling is no longer just a general call, but it is an effectual call. It's the Spirit that makes the, the difference here. And so I think the point is that two things need to be present in order for someone to come to faith in Christ. The word needs to be preached. The gospel needs to be preached. There does need to be a call. Mm-hmm. Repent, turn, believe, cling to Christ. But the spirit also needs to be at work, uh, enlightening uh, the mind, opening the eyes, unstopping the ears, breathing life into one who is dead to the things of God. All of you know that—that's that—that's regeneration that we're talking about. That's what it means to be born again, born from above, born of God. Um, so, word and spirit, word and spirit, word and spirit, both things are yeah. essential. That's good. I'm glad you said those analogies. I was going to bring up the those, those deaf deaf ears being being mm-hmm. made hear made to hear like those things. That's the those are the images we we see in scripture when it comes to that right. Stuff, yeah, so. it, it's it's pictured in different ways in yeah. the scriptures. Uh, Lazarus in in the grave yeah. too is a great example of this. Right, that he, there, there he is dead, but yet God calls him out, and it's effective. He rises from the grave. So, yeah. well, how how would you go about presenting this doctrine from the scriptures? You know, I think there's a couple of ways to do it. Um, I might start by using a theological kind of method here um, to, to make the point that this doctrine of effectual calling is the necessary consequence of the doctrines that we've already established. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you know what I'm, ta- you know what yeah. I'm talking about here? I mean, um, you, you, it, it must be that there is an effectual calling given 
what we have already said about predestination or about election. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to take the time to um, rehash all of that, but I think it is quite clear in the scriptures that God, before the foundation of the earth, chose some to be in Christ. You know, so Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 is maybe the quickest little summary of that whole concept. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So predestination, right? Election. Uh, Some have been chosen in Christ. That's already been established. Um, But when when we talk about predestination, I think this is such an important concept. We are not... We're not, we are not saying that someone is saved by their predestination. Does that make sense? Right, right. Predestination is the plan. Predestination is the blueprint. It is the decree of God. So just like if a building is to be built, an architect, you know, drafts a, a plan. They, 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 they draft blueprints. Well, the, the house is not ready to live in. Right? Right, right when the blueprints are drawn up something else needs to happen namely the builder has to go and purchase the materials and then the builder has to build the house and only after the house has been built can we occupy the house and it's the same way with salvation predestination or election is the blueprint but two other things need to take place something needs to be purchased and something needs to be built, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, we, we need to consider that redemption, the, the plan of redemption needed to be accomplished by Christ. This he did by making atonement for sins. And still we're not ready to live in the house yet, right? right. Also, that redemption that was accomplished by Christ needs to be applied to people mm-hmm. in in their lives in real time. And so... This is what we believe. It's that, yes, predestination and election is important, but it's not the whole story. Still, sinners need to come to repentance. They need to come to trust in Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross actually for themselves. And I think what the doctrine of effectual calling or irresistible graces is dealing with is is the question of how does that happen? How does it happen? Well, it happens by God drawing the sinner then to to himself, right, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preached word. I think we also need to consider uh, this doctrine in light of what has already been said about the doctrine of total depravity. Okay, so we kind of start with, and we did start with unconditional election, right, because it's the blueprint, it's what happened first, I guess we can say. Um, but then we talked about total depravity, and that dealt with the question, what is man's state? What is... What condition is he in? What is he able to do and what is he not able to do? And and if it is true, as we asserted, that man is totally depraved, that is, he is dead to the things of God and unable to bring himself to God, then unconditional, irresistible grace or, or um, uh, effective calling, it's necessary. Otherwise, how is a dead man going to make himself live? There has to be some work of the Holy Spirit to bring right, in, right? right. Um, I suppose we could even tie this to what we've said about uh, limited atonement too. 
Um, just this idea that if Christ has purchased salvation for a people given to him by the Father from before the foundation of the earth, then those people will also be... Um, that, that, that salvation is also going to be applied to them somehow. Right. So right. The, the point I'm trying to make is that the, these things aren't isolated. Theology hangs together. All theology hangs together. Mm-hmm. We're dealing here with with the plan of God, right? right. And, and the plan of God is one. It's not disjointed as if God... See, if irresistible grace or effectual calling were not so, then it would turn the will of God into the wish of God. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about predestination. It's the will of God. That this is his plan. This is what he has decreed. If, if effectual calling is not so, then it's really just God up in heaven kind of going, oh, I hope, I hope some come. I hope some respond to the gospel. You know, I've, I, I, I've said in, the, in eternity past that uh, they will. Christ has accomplished it, but now I'm just leaving it to them. I hope they turn as, 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 I've, uh, they, as I've said they should or something. No, it's that um, God is finishing this plan out so that salvation is not only determined and accomplished, but it is also applied mm-hmm. by the triune God, Father, Son. And in this case, we're kind of honing in upon the work of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Right. When it comes to that irresistible grace, yeah. And I think it's it's important. I hope that it, it becomes more clear why these things are important, too. Um just how they how you mentioned they fit together it's you know irresistible grace this effectual calling versus general calling <clears throat> if if we weren't in a state of total depravity for example and we didn't really mm-hmm. fully accept that maybe you, you know this this idea of calling in our regeneration isn't as deep isn't as uh necessary yeah necessary right, right. a general, call, general would call would do suffice. the trick yeah because then we're able to listen and respond on our own by yeah. our own wills yeah. unhindered by sin or or our you yep. know, dead state because instead of being dead we're just ill and you're, you're just ill there's some uh there's some glimmer of of hope inside man there's some light in him there's some life to him so that right. all that is needed are words right right uh but not necessarily the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit exactly. because the words would be able to get the job done because they would resonate with that life that resides within man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, all theology hangs together. That, that's all I'm saying. It, it must be that the Lord effectively calls. It has to be. be right. um, there has to be some sort of intervention from outside of man who is dead. Right. You know? and, I, and I hope people can see that, how, how rich this makes the gospel, reveals the gospel to be, I should say. Because mm-hmm. it, it's not, uh, it's not a watered down gospel here. This is this is the the beauty of of what we've been brought from by the grace of God. You so. you just you just made a transition from saying, um, makes the gospel to reveals the gospel. And what I heard you saying there is that the gospel is the same, right? No matter if it is a general call or an effectual call, right? It's the same gospel that we preach, but what we learn later, I think, after we come to faith in Christ is, wow, here's what's revealed to us is that um, I was exhorted to repent and to believe upon Christ, and I did, but there's something more to it. It's that the Spirit was the one who made that possible, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. it does make it more rich that, that this is salvation um, given to us by God, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. I think... Uh, 
you know, you can talk about this theologically, showing how all of these doctrines fit together necessarily. Um, I think, obviously, what we eventually need to do is just go to the Scriptures and demonstrate from the Scriptures that these things are taught. And I guess we can do that quickly. Um, There's so much to say here, because, again, I think it just permeates uh, the the Scriptures, uh, Old and New Testament. Um, But what we see, let's start with the New Testament, is that the Spirit must give new life if a person is to come to Christ. I think of uh, those passages in John's Gospel where we are told that someone must be born again or born from above. So in John 1, 12 and 13, we read, But to all who did receive him, that is Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when, when we believe... We are given the right to become children of God. I mean, that's a a beautiful truth here. That's emphasizing, I guess, our adoption, maybe, more than anything in in, in salvation. But here it goes on to say, "...who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." So there is this emphasis from early on in John's Gospel that these who believe, who have been given the right to become children of God, that they were born not of the things of this earth, not of themselves, but it, but it was God who gave them this this new birth. Um, also, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then later in verse 7 of John 3, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And so there is this emphasis in John's gospel that if a person is to see or enter the kingdom of God, or if a person is to receive or believe in Christ, he must be born, he must be born from above. That that's what we're talking about here. That that's the that, that that that's the effectual calling that we're referring to here. There has to be that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that takes place um, alongside the proclamation of the gospel and word. Um, also Titus Three five says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So how did how how was it that we were saved? Um, it, it was by the mercy of God, and it was through this process of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's also some passages that emphasize the fact that the Father must draw. So you're noticing it's not all the language. It's not always lang- the called language right. or called terminology. There's other um, language that's used. The Father must draw. Uh, John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, um, Jesus says. Okay, so all that the Father gives me, predestination, election, will come to me, effectual calling. It's going to get done. They're, they're going to come. They're not going to be dragging, kicking and screaming, but they're going to come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But then later in John 6, we read this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So it's just so specific. This is This is Jesus speaking here. Some have been given to him by the Father, election. Um, All of those will come, okay, effectual calling. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's, by the way, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the perseverance of the saints right. or the preservation of the saints. But specifically in John 6, we're just told that it, it's not going to happen. People are not going to come to Christ unless they are drawn by the Father. There has to be this drawing that takes place. And, and in the context, it's clear that there were thousands who had heard a general call. They heard Jesus preach. They had heard that general external call, but it is only those who are drawn inwardly who come who come to repentance. John six forty four through forty five is a scripture reference here. Um, I guess we'll just move through these. There's a, see, people do need to see this demonstrated from the scriptures, right? I mean, that's the most important thing. So I guess we should take the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's important. We also see that the Father must grant that a person come to faith and repentance. It's the same concept, but just a bit of a different way of saying it. Um, John six sixty four through 65, so this is a continuation of the thought earlier. But there are some of you who do not believe, he said, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who, the, um, who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Judas did not take him by surprise. That's the point. Um, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So earlier in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father draws. Here, a different word is used. It must be granted by the Father. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So uh, th- th- this, this salvation that we have is the gift of God. Philippians 1, 29 also, so here we are in Paul's writings, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So why is it that you believe in Christ? It is because it has been granted to you. And oftentimes, believing in Christ, if not always, it to some degree involves suffering for his sake as well. Second uh, Timothy 2, 5 through 6, here um, Timothy is being encouraged by Paul. And uh, he's encouraging Timothy to continue on in his ministry that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So so what is Paul's hope for success in gospel ministry? Well, at the very root of it is that God would grant people repentance, that he would free them from the bondage that they are in to the evil one. But it has to be God who grants it. Also, there are some passages that talk about the need for God to reveal himself to people. This, again, is straight from Jesus in Matthew 11. Well, it's from Jesus, but by way of Matthew. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty five through 27. Now, now, just listen to this. At, at, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I mean, that, that, that's powerful here as it pertains to the conversation at hand. Christ is actually thanking the Father that he has hidden these things from some, but yet revealed them to others. Mm-hmm. He's hidden them from those who are wise in their own eyes, but he's revealed them to the to the humble um, but all of that depends upon the Father and Son choosing to reveal 
themselves to to these individuals. And then 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And to understand this, I think you have to understand the way that Paul uses the phrase natural person. We're talking about a person who is in their sin, not regenerated by the Spirit. The natural person flat out does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him, their foolishness, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there has to be this work of the Spirit by which the Spirit reveals the things of God to an individual. See also Luke 10, 21, Matthew 13, 10 through 16, Luke 8, 8, 10, Matthew 16, 15 through 17. There's just so many other passages that we can go to. Is this making sense so far? I'm, I'm just rambling on scripture yeah. references. But that's what people want, right, is, is a <laughs> scriptural support, and rightly so. The word yeah. is our authority for truth. Um, let's look at this last section here, which just speaks directly to the issue of calling. God must effectually call us. Uh, Romans 1, 6 through 7. Notice that as Paul writes to the Roman church, he says to them that they are the ones who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, uh, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So, So Christians are referred by this name almost. You know, they are the ones called by God. And then there is that famous Romans 8, 30, And I do hear non-Calvinists complain about the constant reference to this verse, you know, as if it is the only verse that we ever cite. I think I've demonstrated here Mm -hmm. it's not the only one, right? Right. I've often heard that, though, too. You know, hey, it's your only verse. No, no, it's not. It's one of very many. But it is just so clear because it is here that we see that it is those whom he, God, it is those whom God predestined that he also called and it is those whom he called that he also justified, and those whom he justified that he also glorified. So this has been called the golden chain of redemption. It is the same group of people. Notice that this is such a, a, a wooden verse, I would say. It, it doesn't flow very smoothly. It's because there's just so much repetition in it. Uh, those whom he, he also. Those whom he, he also. Those whom he, he also, you see the repetition here, the, the emphasis is that it's the same group of people in every instance, right? All those predestined are also the ones who are called. So the question might be asked, what kind of calling is this, general or effectual? It must be effectual right? because the same group that is called is also justified, saved, declared not guilty by by God, and notice that that same group of people is also glorified. And that's it's interesting because it's not a future tense here, but it's something that's already happened. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places even now. So, so it's that the salvation has been accomplished from beginning to end um, is the point of the passage, I think. In Romans 9, 23 through 24, um, there's a whole context to this as well, but we Paul writes, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, predestination, election, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So there's a particular group of people from Jew and Gentile who have been called by God. Okay. I have many others. I'm going to skip some. You know, I found this 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 31 to be quite powerful, and maybe I'll... uh, end with that. Um, 
but but listen listen to Paul's language here. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. What is the gospel word to preach? Christ crucified, right? And he points out that this gospel message is a stumbling block to Jews, and it is folly or foolishness to Gentiles. But that this gospel, the, 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 the preaching of Christ crucified, uh, this gospel, um, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, is Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So do you see that? When the gospel is preached in a general way, and it, when it is only general call, okay, people hear it and they go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Right? Or it's a stumbling block to them. They, they go, no, I, I just can't buy into this whole free grace thing. You got to earn your salvation. You got to earn it by your keeping of the law. That's what the natural, that's how the natural man responds to the gospel. And Paul is bringing that out here. He says it's, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, he's talking about effectual calling here. To those who are called, something else happens. Christ all of a sudden is the power of God and the wisdom of God to, to them, right? Um, they, they come to salvation. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That's such a powerful passage. Yeah. It, it goes back to the idea of unconditional election. It's not because we're wise that God chose us. No, he's chosen the lowly things, and, and he has called those to himself. And, and, and those who are called, when they hear the gospel, they say, that is good. That is wise. I want that. You know. But if there is no effectual calling, then it seems like foolishness or a stumbling block to Jew and Gentile. Okay, just one more. Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That, that to me, is very powerful here. Who is it that receives the, promise, the promised eternal inheritance? Specifically, it is those who are called. If this were referring to a general call, then I guess we would have to say that all received the promised eternal inheritance. Mm-hmm. But because this is referring to a, um, an effectual and inward call, um, it, is, it is those who come to faith and therefore receive the promised eternal inheritance, if that makes sense. First Peter 2.9 is good too, but I'll skip over it. And one more thing here. The Old Testament scriptures speak of this as well. We tend to think of this as only a New Testament thing, but listen to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. So how is it that um, the people of Israel would in fact love God from their heart and with all of their soul and live? It would only happen if the Lord God circumcised their heart. So does that not correspond to the external, internal call that we've been talking about? 
there was an external circumcision which did nothing in regard to the heart and did nothing in regard to salvation. What was needed was an internal mm-hmm. circumcision of the heart mm-hmm. yeah. in order for a person to love God from the heart and to believe. And then also Ezekiel thirty six twenty six through 27, And I will give you a new heart, God says, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So this is an Old Testament principle as well. Yeah. It's got to be the active activity of God. I know that was a lot of just rattling off scripture references. There's so many more that we could go to here, but um, I think and, this is clearly uh, taught in the scriptures. And again, go back to the outline, the the notes for this mm-hmm. episode, and you'll see more that we had to skip over um, just for the sake of time, just to be more concise. But um, they're there. It's it's everywhere. Right. So, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. And and just to be clear. It'd be super clear who and, and specific, who is it that calls us? Well, yeah, I think this is an important thing to discuss because <clears throat> um, the scriptures actually in some places say that it is the father who calls or draws. In some places it is the son and other places is the it is the Holy Spirit. So in general terms, I think we have to say that this this is the work of the triune God. Uh, actually, we just need to be comfortable with this idea that anything that God does is the work of the triune God. There's never disunity. There's never, right. uh, you, you know, um, they're, they're never out of sync. We talked about that, I think, in the Limited Atonement we did. episode, didn't yeah. we? Uh, that we can't have a son who's rogue doing his own thing, independent from the Father and the, right. and, and the Spirit. And so it is with this. It is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who calls the sinner um, to, to himself. But specifically, I think it is also impro- appropriate to see this as the work of the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So it is the Spirit who really regenerates and, and, and applies um, salvation to to the sinner. So how does this work in real life? Yeah, you know, the point that I wanted to make here was that if you would take a moment to stop and to think back on your Christian experience, every Christian knows what it is to be effectively called by God. I think all all Christian testimonies, all true Christian testimonies share this in common. We look back upon our life and we say, yeah, you know what? God drew me to himself. He opened my eyes. He made me to see, right? I think all Christians, as far as I know, would confess that, that God was at work. Um, the, the word and the spirit are involved. You know, it's somehow your, your parents maybe read you the scriptures from when you were young or maybe you were converted in later years to where when you were 25 you heard the gospel from somebody on the street the word was involved and then the spirit made it click you know and opened your eyes but how all of this plays out differs greatly from person to person right you know i know some people to where this was like it was a drastic cataclysmic sort of event in their life to where they were walking in one way you know, totally in rebellion to the things of God, and then all of a sudden God dropped them on their knees, you know, and and they converted. For others, they they may have been brought up in a Christian home and in the church, and uh, and, and so it was more of a progressive sort of thing. But nevertheless, there's still that, that conversion that mm-hmm. takes place at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And let's get really practical here. What difference should this make in our lives? Humility is the first thing that comes to mind. 
you know, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 emphasizes this, so that no one may boast. I think this is one of the reasons this doctrine is so vitally important, that mm-hmm. though we might not realize it at the beginning of the Christian life, we need to realize it soon thereafter, that the reason you are in Christ is because of the grace of God. And no and merit of our own. No merit of your own. N- not even the merit of, hey, I figured this out and I'm more spiritual than others, therefore I responded to the gospel as I should have, whereas others did not. Not, not even that. That would be merit. That would be you doing better than someone else and thus being in Christ because of it. No, it's deeper than that. It's it's that you were utterly um, helpless and God came to your rescue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You believed from the heart. You made a real choice. You weren't dragged by God kicking and screaming against your will. All of that is true, but there's more to the story. You came willingly and freely because God renewed you from the core of who you are. So humility is huge, and I keep coming back. It's amazing how often this stuff comes back to the issue of evangelism. Two things, I think, are implied by all of this. First of all, the gospel must be preached— there does have to be a call, you know, yeah. the yeah. word has to be preached. Um, but also we must keep in mind that the spirit must work. And you've emphasized this before, Mike, I know at the conclusion of, of one episode that really this is such an encouragement to do evangelism or missions work, whatever you want to call it, consistently and well. Right. You, you know, we're... we're exhorted by the scriptures to do our part, to be responsible, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? But at the same time, we, we realize that the salvation of others, that that weight does not fall upon our shoulders ultimately. Mm-hmm. We have responsibility, but ultimately it is our God who must convert uh, the sinner and bring them to repentance. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, with that, uh, it is it is our hope that that these beautiful truths will serve to encourage you to press on in your walk. So until next time, abide in Christ. Mm-hmm.